to Fresh Image. Fresh Image is a nonprofit Catholic ministry committed to providing individuals and communities with resources to facilitate the full flourishing of the image of God in each and every single human person. Not only will you find hundreds of articles, convenient audios and presentations on our beautiful faith, but also catechetical resources to be used in the classroom, at the parish, and at the kitchen table. Today, we are happy to present Fresh Image Gospel Reflections from our founder, Tony Crescio. Tony reminds us that it is when we look into the mirror of Scripture that we discover the unique image of God we have each been created to be. My dear friends in Christ, last weekend we celebrated the central sacrament in the life of the Church, the Eucharist, on the Solemnity of Corpus Christi. As discussed then, there is a certain way that we can rightly say that the purpose of the Incarnation of the Son of God is the Eucharist. And this precisely because it is in the Eucharist that the separation ushered in by sin between God and the human family, between God and each individual human person, is overcome each and every single time we receive the whole of Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in this great sacrament. Thus, as we said last weekend, the Eucharistic liturgy, where divinity comes to meet humanity with the express purpose of drawing the human family into the eternal dynamics of divine love through, with, and in the Son, is nothing less than a foretaste of the life of heaven. A foretaste, not the consummation of the life of heaven. For, as sure as we live and breathe, fellow sinners, there will be moments, many of them in fact, that we allow sin to come between ourselves and God as long as we live life this side of eternity. But this is precisely why the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. Despite the interruptions of sin in our relationship with God, the dynamic of the Christian life is one that flows from and back toward unity with God, a unity accomplished each time we receive Christ, the bread of life. So we might ask ourselves, what sort of life flows from and back toward unity with God? We receive our answer in the Gospel reading for today, and we can sum up an answer to the question as to what sort of life naturally flows from and back toward unity with God in one word, mission. If last weekend's celebration of Corpus Christi focused on what takes place at the center of the Eucharistic liturgy, we might say that this weekend's celebration focuses on what happens at the end of the Eucharistic liturgy. At the end of every Mass, we hear the priest or deacon say to us, Go now, the Mass is ended, or go in peace to glorify the Lord by your life. Though it may seem like simply saying, Okay, we're all done, these words, in fact, are some of the most important of the entire celebration. We are not simply being dismissed, we are being sent out on a mission. And the mission flows directly from, or we might say, is the necessary consequent of being united with the Son of God incarnate by our reception of the Eucharist. This is precisely why on this Sunday, following that of Corpus Christi, the Church, in her great wisdom as mother and teacher of the faithful, places before us the Gospel we hear today. Our Gospel reading for today is from the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10 of Matthew's Gospel. And it is with chapter 10 that Jesus begins what is known as the Missionary Discourse which spans the entirety of this chapter and concludes in the first verse of chapter 11. We will be hearing more from the missionary discourse over the next couple of weekends. We might think of this discourse as Jesus providing us with detailed instructions as to what those last words we hear at every Mass entail. 
Okay then, why not just start with verse 1 of chapter 10 today, if that's where the missionary discourse begins, we might ask. The reason is that the concluding verses of chapter 9 provide us with an insight into Jesus' psychological and emotional experience that reveals God's intention both for the life of the incarnate Son and for the lives of those who are to live as his continued presence throughout history as members of his body, the church. Matthew begins our passage today with an observation. He tells us that, At the sight of the crowds, Jesus' heart was moved with pity for them because they were troubled and abandoned like sheep without a shepherd. There are three important words in this verse. The first is actually a phrase, moved with pity. The phrase is the translation of the Greek word esplonknisti, which means to feel compassion in one's inward parts. This is why some English translations add that Jesus' heart was moved with pity, the heart symbolic of the core of one's being. Compassion means literally to suffer with or a co-suffering. So we can say that Matthew is telling us that when Jesus looks upon the crowds, he is moved to compassion. This is an extremely important point, though we have to be careful here. Emotions tend to be given a hyper-importance in our own time and place. To put it very briefly, we live in a time and place whose popular moral philosophy is essentially emotivism, meaning that people make decisions, even very big decisions, based on emotions or feelings. They do certain things because they feel a certain way. But because emotions don't necessarily reflect a correct understanding of reality, this is a huge problem, and a full discussion would take us very far afield. Now this is not to say that emotions are bad in themselves. Christianity is not Stoicism, which is proved simply enough by today's Gospel, where we see the Savior himself experiencing emotion. However, emotions must follow the lead of reason in order to be virtuous. Being the Son of God incarnate, the human will of Jesus is perfectly united and in alignment with his divine will. Thus, the incarnate Son's emotions are an expression of emotions that are perfectly rational, completely guided by reason or wisdom, and therefore even an expression of reason. What does this mean? It means that Jesus' emotions are responding to objective reality correctly. The object Jesus' rational emotions are responding to is the state of the people. It is no accident that we find the very same set of God in the book of Judges. There we are told that, Whenever the Lord raised up judges for the people of Israel, the Lord was with the judge, and he delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord would be moved with pity by their groaning because of those who persecuted and oppressed them. Same object, same rational response. Okay, this brings us to the second two words to consider in this verse which describes the objective state of the people that Jesus' emotions are responding to. The translation we hear on Sunday says that the crowds were troubled and abandoned. The first translation isn't too far off of the Greek word which underlies it, eskilmenoi, though perhaps better would be harassed or oppressed. The second descriptor, abandoned, however, isn't very accurate. The Greek word here is erimenoi, which could be better translated as thrown away or scattered. Now we have a more accurate picture. Jesus feels compassion, that is, he suffers with the crowds precisely because they have been harassed and scattered. Now, to be sure, on one level, this is a very practical reality being recognized. However, this practical reality reflects a deeper spiritual reality, a deeper spiritual ailment of the people. 
Call to mind now our reflection from Pentecost Sunday. There we said one of the primary effects of sin is division. Now, who in Scripture instigates division? The devil, whose very name, Ho Diabolos, means to throw across or throw back and forth. In other words, to scatter. It is the division and oppression of the people that they suffer at the most basic and fundamental level of their existence, therefore, that moves God to compassion. And the expression of God's compassion is the Incarnation. So moved with compassion for the people is God that he will make himself able to suffer together with the people and on their behalf. But the Son of God does not undergo suffering for the sake of suffering. Rather, the Son of God incarnate endures the suffering of death caused by sin and rises to new life precisely to overcome the most fundamental problem we face communally and individually as human creatures, division between ourselves and our loving Creator. This fundamental division causes all the division and suffering we experience, and is likewise the healing of this division that will ultimately heal all other suffering and division. Thus, it is the healing of the division between Creator and His creatures that is the aim of the missions of the Son and the Spirit, and therefore the mission of those who share in the life of the Son as members of His body by the grace of the Holy Spirit. It is precisely this mission that Jesus has in mind in his missionary discourse and the manner in which he begins demonstrates this clearly. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus says to his disciples that there is a shortage of laborers for the harvest. What is a harvest but the ingathering of what was once scattered upon a field in the form of seeds? Jesus' twelve apostles now become the first to be sent out as laborers in the field of God to gather the scattered human family by the power of His love working through them. The uniting of the scattered and divided human family begins with the twelve. At the beginning of chapter 10 we read, Then Jesus summoned His twelve disciples. There are two elements of great importance in these words. First, the action of Jesus. Jesus, we are told, summons. What is a summons but a call to someone to come to oneself? Once again, this is a practical description that has great spiritual depth underlying it. Who is the first to summon in Scripture but God? God creates in Genesis 1 literally by summoning creation to come into existence from nothing. Let there be, and there was. Each element called out by God appears as God calls out to it, God's call creating it. We also see this dynamic in the book of Job, in God's response to Job near the end of the book. God says to Job, Can you send forth lightnings so that they may go and say to you, Here we are? When God summons creatures, they present themselves to Him, all the elements together in one great diverse harmony. From the time of the fall, God worked to restore the diverse harmony of creation. This was precisely the purpose of calling the people of Israel to be a people dedicated to God, as we hear Him telling Moses in our first reading for today. God says, Tell the Israelites, Now if you obey me completely and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all the peoples, though all the earth is mine. You will be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. What was the purpose of this priestly people? God had once told Abraham that the people of the covenant would be a blessing to the nations. Thus we see here that responding to God's call and entering into intimate relationship with Him always comes with a mission. The people of Israel, that first people called to be a blessing to the nations, was comprised of twelve tribes, named for the sons of Jacob, Israel. The practical and symbolic meet once again at this point in our gospel. 
The Jewish people believed that the Messiah would once again gather the 12 tribes of Israel. Historically, this would have been an impossibility. Ten of the tribes, the northern tribes, are known as the lost tribes of Israel, for they never returned from exile in Assyria. However, Jesus does indeed reveal that his work is to gather God's people once again, symbolically, by calling the twelve. Notice the tension in the text between a communal and individual calling. In verse 1 of chapter 10, we are told Jesus summons the twelve, but then in verse 2, we are given their individual names. This is a lesson in spiritual physics. God always simultaneously deals with his creatures communally and individually. Each creature is radically unique, yet our radical uniqueness can only be lived and expressed in communion with others who are likewise radically unique. Thus God summons the stars in Genesis 1, but in Psalm 147 we are told that he numbers the stars and gives to all of them their names. The twelve disciples are, therefore, not simply empty symbols of the twelve tribes of Israel, as if Jesus calling some other person would have meant the exact same thing. These twelve were specifically and intentionally called by Jesus in all their uniqueness precisely to put that uniqueness to work in healing the nations by drawing them to him. And how radically unique they were. One could hardly imagine two men as different as Peter and John, to say nothing of Judas, who brings in a completely unique set of questions that we leave aside for now. But here they are, together, as three of the twelve. And I think that's the point. Each of these men were to live out their unique identities in a diverse harmony with a specific mission. Sadly, one would reject both. Judas, in rejecting both the unity and mission, also rejects his own identity. This calling by name to share in a diversely communal existence with a specific mission is meant to be experienced by each and every single human person created in the image and likeness of God. Each person is created by our God on purpose and with a purpose. Said differently, we are created by God's love for God's love. This, at least in part, is what is signified by Jesus calling his disciples by name. To each and every single one of them, and to each and every single one of us, Jesus says what God had once said to the people of Israel collectively. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, Jacob, and formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Our God calls each of us by name for the first time when he calls us into being in our mother's wombs. At that time, we cannot help but respond like the lightning mentioned earlier. Yes, Lord, here I am. Yet our fallen nature makes it nearly impossible to say yes for a lifetime. Thus he calls us again, this time to a renewal, a recreation, by passing through the waters of baptism so that we might share in the life of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. At that time we are given two names, one corporate, one individual. The first name we are given is Christ's. From that moment on, we are a Christian, a little Christ, an anointed one anointed to live as a member of God's priestly people, called to sanctify the world by living lives of self-sacrificing love to the point of death, for the sake of the mission entrusted to us of bringing God's peace and love to the world. This is why when demanded by the authorities to reject Christ and pledge allegiance to the powers that be, martyrs such as Polycarp often replied, Christianus sum, I am a Christian. How many of us think of our lives this way, I wonder? But we are given another name that day as well. 
Traditionally, children are given a saint's name the day they are baptized. And the reason is that so for the rest of their lives, the baptized will not even be able to say their name without calling to mind someone who lived the Christian life to its fullest. We would do well to ask ourselves, do we name our children with this intent? And do we teach our children that this is why they bear the names they do? Both of the names we receive indicate two things. First, that we have been called to live in loving relationship with God. And second, that the loving relationship we share comes with a mission. Our gospel reading for today describes the mission for us. In verse 1 of chapter 10, Matthew tells us that after summoning the twelve, Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure every disease and every illness. If we back up to chapter 9, we find Jesus doing these very things. Being a Christian comes with the mission of living through, with, and in Christ. Thus, at every Mass, we are sent out on mission, having experienced the core of the mission by offering ourselves to the Heavenly Father through, with, and in the Son. In our Gospel, Jesus calls the Twelve as a collective, but also as named individuals. The same, therefore, applies to the mission. They are sent out, both collectively and as unique individuals. Jesus sends out the Twelve precisely by saying, Peter, go! live as I live. John, go, live as I live. He would have said the same to Philip, Bartholomew, and James, and he says the same to each and every single one of us at every Mass. My friends, the calling of the twelve disciples today reminds us of our calling and mission as Christians. The name itself is a mission. The mission? To live as priests. To live lives of self-sacrificing love, precisely so that the world might be drawn into the saving embrace of the Son. Our gospel today affirms that while we share this one mission, we will each live it in a radically unique way. Jesus sends the twelve out to do the same activities, but Peter will undoubtedly do those things in a way distinct from John, and they in a manner distinct from Thomas and Matthew. In sending them out to live the mission of bringing his healing to the world, Jesus warns them further on in his missionary discourse that he is sending them as sheep in the midst of wolves, that they will be hated resisted, and persecuted, but that the Spirit will always be with them to strengthen and guide them. He makes the same promise to us today. But are we living in the manner of those whose names we bear as Christians? One cannot live the gospel without being willing to give one's life for Christ. On the day of our baptism, praying the litany of the saints reminds us of this reality. How often are we reminded of this thereafter? It doesn't seem that this is a message that many want to preach today. However, I think that is a grave mistake. You see, you only give people something to live for if you give them something to die for. At each and every Mass, our Savior sends us out by name on a mission to draw the whole human family into the life they were created for, loving relationship with one another in our Creator. That, my friends, is something worth dying for. Thank you for listening to this week's Gospel Reflection. For more resources, please visit us at freshimage.org. And remember, when you live a fresh life, you will be a breath of God's fresh, life-giving air to the world.